In a famous hadith Qudsi, the Holy Prophet والسلام, repeats the words of the Lord of Majesty, who says, every action performed by the descendant of Adam is his, except for fasting. For fasting is mine and I shall grant its reward. This is on the face of it, a statement that puzzles us. But it comes up not just in this Bukhari sound Hadith Qudsi, but elsewhere as well. Every action is rewarded the like thereof tenfold, up to 700-fold. This is Allah's generosity, except for fasting. Fasting is mine, and I shall grant its reward. So what does this mean? Repeated in these hadiths. What does it mean that our other actions are for us, but the act of fasting is for Rabbil Izza, the Lord of glory? What makes fasting distinct and unusual amongst the different ibadat that we perform? This is worth thinking about. We know that fasting is about, they say in Arabic, tarq, abstaining. The other actions that we do are about doing things. We do the prayer, we do the hajj, we give the zakat, but fasting is holding back our hand, following the command of the Lord of the worlds. It is about sabr. True. In all of our other ibadat, there is the virtue of sabr as well. Rising for fajr requires sabr. Putting up with the heat and the crowds of the hajj requires sabr. Paying the zakat when we think we need every last penny, it requires sabr. True, but there is something particularly sabr-like about the act of fasting, about this tarq, about this renunciation. In a hadith narrated by Imam al-Tirmidhi, he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-sawmu, this for sabr. Fasting is half of sabr. And in another hadith, he says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, as-sabru, nisful iman. Sabr is half of iman. So if you work it out, you don't need your calculator, you can see that uh, about a quarter of iman is fasting. And the ulama say, yes, this is as we'd expect. We have the five arkan, the five pillars of Islam. One is about the aqidah, the belief. La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, and the others are the basic expressions of acting upon that belief. So a quarter of those four pillars is fasting, and it kind of works in a simple arithmetic way. But clearly, there is more going on here. What is the point of not doing something? Just sitting back, the clock goes, and normally at this time of day, we might be thinking about lunch, but today we won't be thinking about lunch. We are in a different space. We're in that Ramadan space, that, that curious environment that we remember so well and that is challenging us. Not doing something is an opportunity to do something. Otherwise, it's just not doing something. 
Many, many a person who fasts, according to the Holy Prophet, gains nothing from his fasting, illa al-ju'u wal atash, except hunger and thirst. If fasting is just not eating and not drinking, then it's just hunger and thirst. So there has to be an amal, an action, and what is it? Well, we know that there are so many a'mal that are connected with the month of Ramadan. And that many of these are connected to the Qur'an, which is the, it is the time when the Qur'an was revealed. Shahru Ramadan, alladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an, hudan linnasi wa bayinatin min al-huda wal-furqan. The month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was sent down. The mind boggles. What does it mean to be sent down from a place that is not a place? The mind boggles, but we accept it as divine truth. In it are signs, clear signs of guidance and differentiation, the Furqan. So whoever sees the month, let him fast it. Command. So it's the month of the Qur'an, and that is part of our banqueting and part of our, part of our feasting, but it is a feast that can continue irrespective of the rising and the setting of the sun. Alhamdulillah, in this mosque after Aisha, now we're able to, with social distancing, practice the beautiful practice of tarawih. Two years since we did that in this mosque, and we've missed it. What is it that we experience during tarawih? It seems to be not doing something. Again, we're just standing and listening and listening and listening. But the believer has a relationship with the Qur'an. The believer is not just listening passively, but is actively remembering. Even if the believer doesn't know the Arabic language, the believer hears those well-remembered sounds and rhythms and cadences, which may be taken back to some important time in his life, perhaps in his early life. And he knows that there is in this a mysterious nourishment that his heart is being fed. Al-Qur'an, ma'dabatullah, the Qur'an is Allah's banquet. But this can happen not just after Aisha, but at any time. And it should be one of the things that we are concerning ourselves with during the daylight hours of Ramadan. Renewing our connection with the Qur'an, learning what it is telling us, most obviously, but also feeling the way in which it is nourishing us. What is it when we hear the Qur'an or recite the Qur'an or touch the Qur'an or engage with this, this very strange feeling we have that this is something that is not of this world, something uncreated. What does that mean? This is part of our aqidah. Uh, it is kalamullahi al-qadim, Allah's uncreated speech. Strange. The word seemed to have been renewed and the Holy Prophet when he heard Iqra had not heard that word before, but still Allah's uncreated and ancient speech. So the believer, rich or poor, smart or dim, but with a light in his heart knows when he touches the Qur'an, when he hears the Qur'an, when the Qur'an comes from within him, that he is engaging with infinity, with eternity, that his heart is feeding on that 
which is the most indispensable thing. Signs from the compassionate, ancient, but renewed. Their quality is as that uh, who has no beginning. That's what the poet says about Allah's book. This is important. This is an opportunity, this month of tarq, of not doing things, to do something, which is to reach out for the Qur'an, to revive that part of the Qur'an which perhaps we've started to forget, but we haven't visited for a long time. Perhaps our memorization is a little bit rusty. This is the time of year when we need to be honoring the book by once again, with respect and awe, touching it, opening it, and hearing the voice of eternity. So this is one of the things that we can be doing in this very extraordinary, unusual month when all of our normal patterns of behavior are turned on their head, we can get back to engaging with Allah's book. But this sabr, what is it? What is it that enables us to fast? And what is it that the fast teaches us? We know that religion ha happens in what psychologists would call a virtuous circle. In other words, if you make an effort and do something in religion, then that effort becomes easier next time and the delight becomes greater. The more you do, the more the taste becomes sweet. And it's only when, oh, will I pray? Will I not pray? Will I fast this year? Will I not fast this year? Shall I do all of these things? <laughs> when we're on the brink of violating a clear divine command, that it becomes difficult. But if you just accept it and you say, we hear and we obey. Your forgiveness, Lord, to you is the journey. If we just say we hear and we obey and we just do it, we will find that it's a lot easier because the religion is easy. You read Allahu bikumul yusr wa la yuridu bikumul usr. So we should have in this month of Ramadan as we feed and we feast on this spiritual banquet, also the resolution to improve our lives by making sure that we're getting those basic practices right. That that nasty sick sense of guilt within us that knows, well, I'm not praying very regularly, huh? which is causing us much more suffering than the alleged pleasure of finding more time because one is messing around with the times of the prayer. Uh, this is the shaitan's deception. We can get rid of that sickness. We can get rid of the sickness that comes from knowing that one is not in obedience to the Lord of the worlds, who has bestowed upon us every breath that we take, every beat of our hearts, and has bestowed upon us such a multitude of signs of his glory and his beauty, in the natural world and in the book of the Qur'an. But he says, How few are the grateful amongst my slaves. We want to be grateful. And gratitude is Iman. If you're grateful to the Lord and you can see what he has done for you and to you, you're a believer. And it is this Iman that enables the sabr. Those who struggle for our sake, we shall surely guide them to our ways. Make the effort, Allah will guide you. It's not the effort that produces the outcome. The outcome is in Allah's hands, but you make the effort. You face the qibla, you make your wudu, you make an effort, and then a good prayer may be bestowed upon you. And that's a precious thing.
Imagine how we'd be changed if our hearts were focused on the Lord of Majesty from the beginning of the prayer, from the Allahu Akbar to the Assalamu Alaikum, with no distraction of the heart to other qiblas. Imagine what a prayer that would be. Outwardness should help with the inwardness. So this is a time of sabr, which means restraining ourselves. And this is the way, not of hardship, but of ease. Because human beings suffer and cause other people to suffer when they're following the nafs, when they're following the lower self. This is the tragedy of the human condition that we are subject to the law of gravity and we think, oh, wouldn't it be fun to jump off this cliff? Sounds thrilling. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't wish us to follow the law of gravity, the hawa, the shaitan, he wishes us to rise up and therefore to be one of the successful, the harvesters. He who purifies himself has succeeded. And the Arabic word aflaha or muflih has the sense of harvesting. A fallah is a farmer or a peasant. So we reap in the akhirah. None of these little actions that caused us such pain with our sabr has been wasted. We will see them, even if it be only a mustard seed's weight. And remembered the name of his Lord and prayed. So you purify yourself, and then you find it easier to remember Allah, and then you pray. Those are the three degrees. So it should be a time of tazkiyah and a recognition that we have a weakness within us, which is part of the clay from which we are made. The clay is subject to gravity and pulls us down, but the ruh which is in us, which is of the divine breath, is what brings us up. And in this month of Ramadan, it is easier to move upwards. The famous hadith narrated by Imam Tirmidhi, إِذَا دَخَلَ شَهْرُ رَمَضَانِ فُتِحَتْ أَبْوَابُ الْجَنَّةِ وَغُلِّقَتْ أَبْوَابُ النَّارِ وَصُفِدَتِ الشَّيَاطِينِ وَنَادَ مُنَادٍ يَا بَاغِيَ الْخَيْرِ هَلُمْ وَيَا بَاغِيَ الشَّرْءُ اُقْصُرْ When the month of Ramadan comes in, the gates of the garden are opened and the gates of the fire are closed and the shayateen are chained up and a herald angel calls out, O oh, you who is looking for good, rise up. O oh, you who is looking for evil, restrain yourself. It becomes easier in this month when we're not stuffing our faces and thinking about the next snack to be detached, to have tajreed, to strip away from ourselves the sense that I'm going to be really uncomfortable for the rest of the day if I don't have another cup of tea now or another whatever it is, but to be detached from that to be free of it, this horriya, which is true freedom. Modern world talks about so many freedoms, freedom to gratify this desire, freedom to do that, freedom to say that, but they don't talk about the essential freedom through which alone is our human dignity, which is freedom from self, uh, from the lower cravings, from those desires which are responsible for those dark, slimy, ugly, forgettable, sickening moments that we can all remember in our lives. The nafs which drags us down to that, to be free of that is the true freedom. 
Other freedoms pale into insignificance by comparison. So in the month of Ramadan, we find that it is easier for us to do what is good. And we feel a sense of shame when we think about doing the things that we do which are not so good. So we hear that angel. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is granting us this opportunity. And that's what we mean when we say ah, fasting is for Allah. It's for the journey to him. It is a purely spiritual exercise because it doesn't involve doing anything. It involves not doing things, but the heart is revived and regenerated. And for that, there can be no calculation, no tenfold calculation for your fast or 700-fold. <coughs> Allah grants reward directly in this world as well as the next, because to be free of the ego is the greatest thing he can bestow upon any of us in this life. And he has said, subhanahu wa ta'ala, innama yuwaffa sabiruna ajrahum bighayri hisab. Look at the brilliance of the Arabic here. There isn't a verse in the Quran that you couldn't spend a lifetime looking at and dissecting and thinking about. Here he says, Allah gives the full uh, merit, the full reward to those who have sabr without reckoning, without calculation. There's no arithmetic, no algebra that can work out what is the consequence for you of really overcoming the ego. If you do that, you're a different kind of person. You're moving towards the degrees of, of the awliya, people who are truly joyful whenever they remember their Lord and who find it difficult and painful not to remember him. This is the state that we all crave. And it's a state of happiness. Allah inna awliya Allah, la khawfun alayhim wa lahum yahsanum. Truly Allah's awliya, there is no fear upon them, neither do they grieve our lives. It's all about fear and grief, isn't it? Nowadays we'd call it anxiety and depression. The twin modern plagues. We're worried about what might happen next. When will the lockdown come to an end? Will I get sick? So many fears, and we're sad about what happened in the past, about what we did, what we didn't do. But the awliya, Allah is saying, they're detached from that. Why? Because they can see that everything is what Allah has done. It is of his creation. And there's a deep mystery in this, the deepest of all mysteries. لا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون wouldn't it be wonderful not to be fearful about things all the time, although you take due precaution, and this is the way of the anbiya, and not to be endlessly worried and feeling sick about stuff that's happened in the past? Ah, what a state that would be. And that is the state that is rewarded without reckoning. And that is why fasting in particular is connected to this inward process of self-transformation and self-discipline and self-transcendence. Ah, which is referred to in the successful is he who purifies himself. So may this be a Ramadan, inshallah, which is not just of following the rules, but of inward life of the heart. May it be a Ramadan of good akhlaq, and this is always a sign that we are truly fasting, that we need to avoid all of the evil practices, the backbiting 
and the anger and the jealousy and the envy and the craving and the ugly things that we usually say. He says, وسلم, fasting is a protection. Fasting is a protection. So if one of you is fasting, let him not say something foul or obscene. And let him not do anything ignorant and rough and crude. And if somebody insults him or picks a fight with him, let him just say, Inni sa'im, I'm fasting. What a great and amazing way of resolving disputes that would be. What amazing people we would be. What extraordinary neighbors, family members. What an extraordinary ummah we would be if we practiced this. Even just in Ramadan. Ramadan is the life class of what follows Ramadan because these lessons are not for a particular time of year, but for, are for all time. And part of Ramadan is to feel that you have taken a step up and you don't take a step after, step down after the Eid, no. But every Ramadan is another step upwards because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling you to the abode of peace. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our fasting and make this a fast, inshallah, which illuminates our hearts and brings reconciliation to our community, insha'Allah. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullaha li wa lakum wa li sa'iri al-muslimin innahu huwa al-ghafur al-rahim.